I'm just going to show you a few pictures um, which will perhaps help you to focus a little bit on something of what we're talking about this morning from that passage. These are pictures which really talk to us about barriers and things that separate. Thanks, Steve. You could just have the first picture. That, as you will see, is a picture of the new, um, the new fence which has been put up between Hungary, along the Hungarian bound, boundary uh, to prevent the refugees and the migrants from entering the neighbouring country or from entering Hungary, I think that one is. But you will see there the refugees camped outside the fence. You see the lights lighting up to keep people out, the fence to separate one people from another. Let's look at the second picture. Here we have people pleading, showing their passports, pleading that because they belong to one country from which they have had to escape, pleading to get into another country with that desperate look on their faces. And then the third picture, Steve, we got the third one. The sea is a natural barrier between countries. But people try to cross the sea, the natural barrier, because they are driven out from their own country and want to get to somewhere which is more secure, more safe. And the fourth picture. You recognise this picture? 25 years ago, the Berlin Wall came down. But that's a picture of the Berlin Wall as it was. Separating friend from friend, family from family, according to the size of the wall upon which you lived. And the next one. Anybody recognise where this wall is? Takes us a long way back from those walls, but just to give you that idea that walls have always been built to separate one people from another. You recognise where it is? Great, great Wall of China, yes, that's right. I don't know if anybody, any of you have ever walked any part of the Great Wall of China. Yep, <laughs> good. Next one. You know that, where that wall is? Israel, yeah. This is the wall that separates Israel from the Palestinians from Gaza. And a very modern structure. And the next one as well. That is actually the same wall. Freedom is never given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Anyway, so so many things that divide one person from another, one people from another, all sorts of things that are physical boundaries... There are man-made boundaries, there are natural boundaries, but there are other boundaries too. There are boundaries of culture, boundaries of religion, boundaries of wealth. Ah, oh, there's the last, the last picture I had, that's right. 20 years progress. Um, yeah. That's it, good. Um, there are boundaries of, 
language, boundaries of past history created by human beings to set us apart from one another. And segregation in these ways, these boundaries, are a major cause of the violence which we see across the world today. They create a people who are a better people and a people who are disadvantaged people. Some fighting to maintain those divisions, to maintain their superiority. Others fighting to cross the divide. And other, yet others to break down the divides. And in some cases to create new ones. And these are the problems which our politicians are grappling with, particularly around the world at the moment, and have come into such stark focus for us as people living in Europe as we find people migrating into our countries from other parts of the world where they are being driven out by people who are different from them. And whatever our understanding of what, uh, what is happening and why these divides are being created, we all recognise the instability that is coming to our world because of this. And we recognise too the importance of finding solutions. And I think it's a cause for, to be uh, pleased about that, that we, have, we have had 25 years when there has been integration amongst the German people. 25 years ago, when that wall came down, there were lots of talk about how difficult it would be to create one nation. Maybe remember, if you remember back that far, the fears and the anxieties that there were. And yet those fears really haven't come into focus, have they? And it does seem as if that country has, be, has, has enjoyed integration and peace and has gained as a whole through the attitude which has been adopted by both sides. And it is God's desire that as people, as human beings in the world that he has created, we live together in peace. The efforts that politicians put in to achieve a real and lasting peace are important. But at the end of the day, I think what this passage in Ephesians is saying to us is that we need the power of God released through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the healing power of a united church if we're really going to experience peace in our world. The letter which you've been studying to the Ephesians from Paul uh, over these weeks, and we'll continue to study, I think, over the weeks ahead, was written to churches which are situate at the places, some of the places, which are now the centre of our everyday news stories. And it's in this letter, written so long ago, that we can find some of the answers to the problems which are now occurring in that part of the world, the problems of division and refugees. To recap perhaps what you've studied before, Ephesus was at the commercial centre of the trading routes between Asia Minor, now Turkey, and Europe. It was the third largest city in Asia Minor with a population of up to 56,000 people. Paul spent three years working as an evangelist there, I suppose recognising that by preaching the gospel in this one place, the gospel would spread through a wider region. And this letter is written to help the believers to understand the wide purpose of what God is doing in Jesus and the wider purpose that he has in forming the church, not only for our personal salvation, not only so that we individually can be reconciled with God, 
but for the creating of a fellowship, a community of one people brought together in order to reconcile human beings, not only to God, but to reconcile human beings to one another. That reconciliation, that work is achieved through the church, which, as we read in the final verse of our reading, verse 22, is the place in which God lives by his Spirit. I suppose looking at these verses, with the hindsight of the way the church has grown over 2,000 years since they were written, means we have a particular understanding of what God is doing and what Paul was saying in this passage. It's difficult, isn't it, sometimes, to put ourselves back into the place of where, where these people would be when this letter comes in from Paul and, 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 and it's read to them. But I guess that at the time when these words were first read, the people who received them could well have, won- have, have, have heard them with gasps of wonder, expressions of incredulity. After all, they were just a small gathering of the Lord's people. And yes, the church had grown since it was formed. But to think that, that, that what God was making through what was happening was going to, was, was to, be, to be building this wonderful uh, temple where God would live. How amazing was that? After one hearing of the words, you'd probably want to hear them repeated several times before you really grasped the richness of what Paul was saying. Once, he says, you were separate from Christ. Once, you were excluded from God because of your state of birth. The very fact that you were born a Gentile, that you were not circumcised, that you were born where you were born, cut you off from God. Once you were foreigners, once you were far away, once you were separated by an uncrossable gulf. We see people trying to cross the sea, which is almost an uncrossable gulf, because they want to get from the place where they are to the place where they want to be. So much greater was the gulf between these people who had no knowledge whatsoever of the one true God. That was the great gulf. All the rules and regulations of the law of Moses, they were beyond the knowledge or understanding of these people and certainly well beyond their power to comply with those rules. They were excluded. They were separate. There was no hope for them. Literally no hope for them because they were Gentiles separated from God. Once you were far away. But that was then. That was what was past. They were out of that situation now. Now, as that great word now comes across. Once you were far off, but now, he says in, in verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once like that have been brought near. That was then. That was past. Now you are brought near to God by the death of Christ. Now you are newly united with all the other believers by virtue of your shared faith in God. Now you are citizens of the same kingdom. You can wave the passport to let you into the kingdom you want to get into. 
You are citizens of the same kingdom with the Jews. Those people who have been steeped in faith in God for generations. You can come close to God. Not by being circumcised, not by a physical operation, but by giving a new birth in Jesus Christ. There, once upon a time you did not belong, but now you are full members of God's household. You can come in. You're part of God's family. You're part of a building, a holy temple, no less. And most incredibly, and to prove all this, you're a dwelling in which God's spirit lives. Oh, what amazing truth. You know, the more I read through this particular passage too, the more symbolism and, and uh, the more those set, that sense came to me before we had no part in Christ. But now, through faith in him, we belong to his family. We are part of his dwelling. And how amazing, how amazing is that truth. That truth has a lot of practical consequences. I suppose the most obvious one is we need to think about welcoming the stranger. We now think of ourselves as insiders. Most of us are proud to be people who are not only citizens of the UK and have been for life. We're proud of our British passports when we take them with us. But we're generally used to a church environment. But I expect many of us will have had that experience of being new people in an established group. And how difficult we can find it to belong in that sort of situation. We feel ourselves as being a little bit alien from others if we're not very careful. And that says to me that when we have strangers coming into our midst, it's important that we should welcome them to demonstrate that truth that we are one in Jesus Christ. People who are perhaps a little bit different to us, how welcoming to them are we? And then another spiritual truth is this. Each of us has our place in the building and all of us are important. None more than another. It does not matter how we came, what our background is, what our achievements are, even how poor we are in representing him and following his ways. What really matters is that we have received Jesus as our saviour. We have come to faith. We are seeking to follow his ways. And that's the important thing. We're all equal before God because we are all sinners who have found faith in Jesus Christ and been made new people. It's very interesting here that what Paul says is that we have been made new. His purpose, in this is in verse 15, was to create in himself one new man out of the two. Now that's not saying that the Gentile Ephesians were made like the Jews. It's not saying, you know, people who come from outside have to become like us. He is making us new people. He was making the Jewish believers new people as well. One new man. One type of person who, in whom God dwells. The distinction is not now between Jew and Gentile. The distinction is between believer and unbeliever. The new man is the believer, the one who has accepted Jesus. And that requirement is the requirement for the Jew, just as it is for the Gentile. And we who 
are Christian believers, are new people, one new man, something different to what the condition which we were in before because Jesus, through the cross, has made us new. So each of us has our place in the building. I guess when Paul was writing this, this about being built into a temple, he may have been thinking of the temple of Artemis at Ephesus, a human monument to a God who was no God, but the place where the Ephesians would have worshipped before they became Christians. And he's saying, in a way, this is a much more glorious and wonderful building than ever the temple of Artemis, with all its glory, might be. These were buildings which were physically capable of establishing awe, but still capable of destruction. We've seen those pictures of the destruction of some of the temples by ISIS, haven't we? It was just recently. Those were temples made with human hands. But this is a temple which is being built by God, and we have a place in it. And so the picture Paul uses is a building set on a firm cornerstone which can never be moved. It's a picture of activity going on and on, of brick being laid on brick, a building rising in magnificent splendour as a place of God's dwelling. That sense that this is something that is going on now, even now, God is continuing to build his church. And if I could say something to you as the people of God here, in a time when you're in transition, as it were, from one ministry towards another, God is building this church. That is his purpose and object. He is building you into a people in which he dwells. And he will go on building this church. That is his purpose and that is his objective. There are new people he wants to bring in to build this church as well. People he wants to bring into faith to be laid as bricks in this particular part, as it were, of that building which he is building up. But we need to recognise that this building is there simply to give glory to God. That's the purpose and object of it. You know, when we go and look at a building, I expect Adrian, when he looks at buildings, he might look at the odd brick here or there, but he doesn't look at every brick. And a lot of us are bricks that probably don't get looked at very much, you know. But it's vital that, that we're there. We may think, I'm just another brick in the wall. That's the song, wasn't it? And it's just another brick in the wall. But actually, you know, every brick is important. It's vital, because without, if, you, if you're not, if, the, if there's a hole in the wall, then it will soon crumble. And what God is building, he's, he's, he's the master designer, and he's building on a firm foundation, the cornerstone, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I should have chosen cornerstone, actually, as one of my hymns this morning, and I, I, I didn't think about that till afterwards, after I'd done it. But anyway, you know the song, don't you? Cornerstone, it comes from this, this verse in Ephesians. Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, the secure foundation, which means that the building can never be destroyed in the way a, a, a human temple could be. Brick being laid on brick. God is continuing to build his church. And there's another thing. We've been brought near. We are citizens. Although we may all feel weak in our faith, we're still part of his family. Although all of us fail him regularly, nothing can separate us from his love. We are the brick in the wall. We are the citizen of the country. Once you've got your British passport, I don't think there's much that can take it away from you. Unless you decide to go and fight for ISIL, perhaps. I don't know. Anyway, once you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, there's nothing can take away your passport. 
God has placed his spirit in our lives as a seal of his promise. If we're committed to him, he's committed to us. He will not let us go. Nothing can separate us from his love. And we belong. And it's important that we stand with that knowledge. Because sometimes Satan will say to us, you're useless, you're no good, or you're a failure because you've let me down again. And the truth is that we all of us do. I've had a a very pressurised week and at times I've just lost it because I just can't cope with it. Sometimes we're all like that and we feel afterwards that, um, well, I can't possibly be a follower of Jesus because I just don't live my life in the way that I know God wants me to live it. And we've let him down again. And yet the truth is that God still loves us and God still cares for us and God still forgives us. And we're still a citizen of his kingdom. And we still belong to him. And when we come back to him and ask his forgiveness, he does forgive us. And he does take us, restore us into his into relationship with him. Each of us has peace with God through the blood of Jesus. God has forgiven us. But just continuing that theme, sometimes we find it difficult to forgive ourselves. God has forgiven us. God wants us to enjoy peace in our lives with him. Each of us has equal access to God the Father. It's good to ask other people to pray for us, but we don't actually need to because each of us has the right to speak to God and the certainty that God hears us. What was the verse that... that, that, um, For through him, verse 18, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We both... He's referring to both Jew and Gentile. All of us have access alike to the one spirit. We have a point of reference for our lives. A firm foundation on which to build. I've already spoken of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. So we have security. We are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. But then you ask yourself, don't you, and I thought, I thought as I read all these wonderful words about who we are and who God wants us to be, I thought, well, why then do we find these divisions? Why are we divided from one another? Why do we fall out with one another? Why is it that we can't always see eye to eye over what we should do and what we should think? There are divisions between Christian denominations. There are divisions within Christian churches. There are divisions in Christian families and even in Christian marriages. Is the truth that Paul is teaching us true if the reality sometimes seems to be otherwise? And if not, what can and should we do about it to make this more real to our own situations? If we believe this, if we believe that God is making us his people, building us into his holy temple, then surely, surely, we need to be trying and watching to make sure that we avoid those divisions coming in amongst us. They're very subtle sometimes, the things that divide us. Very small sometimes, but can become such a big impact. We don't like this and we don't like that and we complain about this and we complain about that because it's sometimes difficult to see eye to eye over different things. Often these things are because we actually want what we want. We're comfortable with what we're comfortable with. 
It's very difficult to accommodate people from different countries, different races, different backgrounds. As we've seen on the political scene, lots of people are closing their doors because they do not want people from Syria coming here. This can be the same in our own church lives. Because somebody else thinks differently or does things differently to, to me, do I want to welcome them really? Do I really want to show love to them? And it requires an effort of will to be actually to say yes, because that's what God wants me to be. Because I am part of his family, part of his building. One of the most wonderful stories of reconciliation, of restoration of relationship, because that's what this passage is all about, is a very familiar story that I'm just going to read to you in a particular version now, because I think this brings something home to us. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home safe and sound. The other brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, who has thrown away your money on whores, shows up. And you go all out with a feast. His father said, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time. We had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead. 
And he's alive. He was lost. And he's found. Reconciliation between younger son and father. But no reconciliation between the two brothers. The one jealous of the other. And there's a lesson for us there, isn't there? There was a separation between younger brother and older brother. There was a separation between Gentile and Jew. There is a separation sometimes between us and others who love the Lord. There needs to be reconciliation. And that reconciliation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. In all of us acknowledging that we're all sinners. And that we all need to come back to the cross and to ask for God's forgiveness for the way in which we treat others as different to us. In doing that, we will find peace, both with God and in our own relationships. I just want to ask you two questions. I want you to think about these questions during the coming days. The first question is, are you at peace with God? And the second question is, are you pursuing peace with your fellow believers? God grant that that wall be broken down amongst us, that by the cross we be reconciled in this one body, one new man, a dwelling place for Jesus by his spirit.